Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Wednesday, November the 29th, 2023. It is currently 12.03 p.m. Central Time, and I am coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. Now, depending on which platform you're listening to me on, if you're listening to me live, some of the platforms you will see the title and you will know that this is part three. If you're listening later on when this is uploaded to all the podcasting apps, you'll notice that this is part three and it's part three of a review that we are doing. Someone emailed me and said, hey, could you review this? And it's a podcast episode. And all I can say is by the time I've reached part three, <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not that excited. I'm not that excited. Uh, by this point in this review, I'm irritated, aggravated, frustrated, bothered, and I, I feel like, I, like, what's the point of continuing? But the point of continuing is to finish this. So I'm just full transparency. There's a part of me that just wants to rush right through the last part. Just, just you know, let's just get this done. I just want to get to the finish line. That's really not a great attitude to have. But I'm just being honest with you. I'm just extremely frustrated. Now, if you haven't been with us for part one and part two, let me explain something. We're listening to a program that's entitled, and a podcast episode entitled Zionism, right? And I'm like, okay, Zionism. What are they going to talk about in regards to Zionism? I don't know if I was completely prepared, but I find I found out by listening to this podcast episode, reviewing this, that if you are an individual who opens your Bible, you start reading it, and you're like, oh, God seems to be making lots of promises to Israel. And you notice that many of those promises seem to be literally fulfilled, or God makes prophecies considering Israel, and they seem to be literally fulfilled, right? They seem to be like, oh, he tells them they're going to go into captivity, and they go into a literal captivity to a literal Babylon, and then they are delivered from that literal captivity, and they're going to rebuild the temple and everything. Like when it says they're going to build a temple, literal, literal, all of these things are literal, 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 literal. And then you notice Wait, there's all these other promises and prophecies, and they they don't seem to have ever been fulfilled literally in history. I wonder if it's possible that they could be fulfilled literally in the future, just like the old promises were fulfilled literally in the past. I wonder if these promises that have never been fulfilled, I wonder if they could be fulfilled literally in the future, right? So, I mean... To me, there's nothing controversial about that. You read the Bible, you're like, oh, God makes promises to Israel. They seem to be literally fulfilled. He makes promises about the coming of Christ. They seem to be literally fulfilled. Born of a virgin, born in Bethlehem. It seems to be literal. Okay, so now here's these other, there's other promises related to Israel. It seems to be literally to literal Israel, the literal nation. And maybe, maybe they should be literally fulfilled in a literal future. But to say that, to think that, I guess immediately makes you a Zionist, makes you, you're, you're holding to Zionism and you, you're, a, you are an evil dispensationalist and well, you're basically antichrist and you basically don't know how to read the Bible and you basically are, are doing all of these horrible things. And you're kind of like, whoa, wait, wait, when did this happen? I'm just trying to say, wait a minute. 
the Bible seems to make promises to Israel. I think that's the nation, especially considering the context. And I know they haven't been fulfilled. I'm going to go for a literal fulfillment. And you're like, no. and they're like, eh, wrong, wrong, wrong. You cannot do that because you are foolish. You don't know how to read your Bible and you're denying everything. And you're like, wow, how did we get there? But that's kind of was the attitude that this podcast that we are reviewing, that's kind of the attitude that they've, they've taken, right? They've kind of taken this very negative approach and they've made some pretty serious accusations. Let me just remind you of some of the things that they have said. If you are a Zionist, if you hold to quote unquote Zionism, if you are a dispensationalist, I'm going to state it this way. If you simply believe that God made promises to Israel, the nation, and that those promises, there's a high probability they have to be fulfilled literally in history since they've never been fulfilled. If you say that and believe that, according to the podcast that we are reviewing, number one, supposedly this means you deny progressive revelation. Now that came as a shock to me, <laughs> a big shock, because I have right here in front of me Schofield's uh, study Bible from 1917 with the, the Schofield Bible with the 1917 notes where he literally teaches progressive revelation. So I'm like, well, I didn't know dispensationalists didn't believe in progressive revelation because I, I've gone to plenty of dispensational schools where I was taught progressive revelation. I've gone to plenty of dispensational churches where I was taught progressive revelation. But supposedly... <laughs> If you're a Zionist, if you hold to Zionism, if you believe God made literal promises to a literal Israel that will be literally fulfilled in a literal future, you deny progressive revelation. They never gave any source for their claim. They never gave us anything. They just said, you, and I'm like, where? Like, it's one thing to make the claim, at least make the claim that this individual or this individual denies progressive revelation. Name the individual, name the book. Name the source, and then you could say, okay, anyone who follows this teacher and their idea of dispensationalism, they deny progressive revelation. That would be a more accurate way of stating it. But then secondly, if, once again, you believe God made literal promises to a literal Israel that need to be literally fulfilled in a literal future, well, then you deny the sufficiency of Christ. Once again, it's somewhat as a shock because someone like John MacArthur, who's very dispensational, right, believes in literal promises to a literal Israel that will be literally fulfilled in a literal future. He even wrote a book called The Sufficiency of Christ. So clearly, I don't know, but supposedly we deny the sufficiency of Christ. Number three, we demand, we demand a Zionist, okay, we demand supposedly the undoing of the work of Christ. It would be fair to argue that they feel that dispensational teaching can kind of, you know, unintended consequences do this, but it's not a fair representation because I've never met anyone who's in the dispensational camp going, we demand that you undo the work of Christ. We, we, I've never. I've never heard that or seen that. Now, you could argue, well, your teaching does that, but they didn't even really, I guess they tried to articulate that, but they didn't do a very good job of being convincing or even proving anything in any way, shape, or form, basically because they never quoted actually any dispensational sources or even, I mean, like, it's just 
making, it's just, it was weird how it's been done so far. Then number four, they claim that dispensationalist, again, anyone who believes, anyone who believes that God made literal promises to a literal Israel that have to be fulfilled in a literal future, supposedly they deny the typological nature of the old covenant. They, they, they don't understand typology, which again is crazy because Schofield in his reference, in his Bible talks about typology. So I, but okay. And then number five, anyone who believes God has made literal promises to a literal Israel that has to be literally fulfilled in a literal future, supposedly you fail to see or you fail to understand that all of those land promises, they've been fulfilled. All of those land promises supposedly have been fulfilled. Now, and they quote from the book of Joshua, which the only problem is they, they don't really, it's like they don't even attempt to try to be fair with this. Okay, I think anyone who's dispensational will get to the book of Joshua and go, hmm, that seems to imply that maybe they got all the land. And you may go, okay, so that means there's no other land promises for the future. And you may start, you know, following this line of reasoning. And you're like, well, number one, that even if they had it in Joshua, they don't keep it very long. Everyone can agree with that. They don't keep it very long. They don't drive out all the people they're supposed to drive out. And before you know it, they find themselves back into some level of being, you know, submitted to other authority, other other powers. Ultimately, they get into Babylonian captivity. I mean, by the time you open up the New Testament, Israel clearly, once again, is being under the rule of someone else. They, they never really keep that land that you may claim that they had in Joshua. But here's the issue. Even if they had the land in Joshua, all I need to do is find that God makes promises to Israel about land after Joshua, which we do when we read about the new covenant made with whom? The house of Israel and the house of Judah. And guess what is a part of those new covenant promises? The promise of land. You can see this in the book of Ezekiel. In fact, let me find for you. I think I may have it. I may have it here. Uh... Hang on, give me a second. I may have it here. You can you can read about it in Deuteronomy, but hang on, give me. There's another one I think I have here. I think I have here. Where is it? Uh, okay, here we go. Um, let me just read uh, from an article. The new covenant was originally given to Israel. There's no question about that. Includes promises. This is the promises of the new covenant specifically to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Promises of fruitfulness, blessing, and peaceful existence in the promised land. Ezekiel 36, 28 through 30 reads like this. Then you will live in the land I gave your ancestors and you will be my people and I will be your God. You're going to be in the land that I gave your ancestors. Now, according to them, oh, no, 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 no. You see, if you go to the book of Hebrews, the land you're looking for is a spiritual land. No, no, no. This specifically says the land I gave your ancestors, you're going to dwell in it. And it's about Israel. It's about literal land. But supposedly... (laughs) If you, if you take that literally, 
once again, then you don't under it, it, the land promise was fulfilled. It, well, even if you claim it was fulfilled in Joshua, the land promise is re-given and restated in Ezekiel in the context of the new covenant, which comes way after Joshua. But they don't bother to address any of this. They don't bother to clarify any of this. They're not even attempting to be fair. And it's, and it's, I've just, I'm just so frustrated with it. I'm just so irritated by it. And, and let me state this. This is so important. All right. So for the average person, average Christian, right? And I, and I, I know I'm going to tick off a lot of podcasters and a lot of Bible teachers, but I'm just going to be very blunt here. Whenever you're listening to a Bible teacher or a podcaster or a pastor, and they are criticizing a certain perspective, they're criticizing a certain theological system, they're condemning it and they're criticizing it. Listen to see if they're attempting in any way, shape or form to be fair to it, to point you to resources that articulate that view by quoting from it, telling you to go look at it, maybe reviewing audio that clearly presents that other side. If they're not doing those kinds of things, I hate to say this, but I would, I would warn you that you should be gr- very, very, how could, how could I say this? Skeptical of what they are saying. Because it, it look, it's an old trick, right? You're you're going to criticize a certain theological system. You're going to criticize a certain doctrine. You're going to criticize something. Well, then when you present, here's what you do. First, you present what they supposedly teach. Now you present it in its most ridiculous way and the most weak way that you can present it. You, you, you don't fairly represent it in any way, shape or form. You create a caricature. You, you, you create a straw man. And then you say, see, they, can you believe these people would believe this ridiculous, foolish stuff? Then you kind of mock it a little bit. You may say, you may say outlandish things. Then you knock it down and go, woohoo, we have the right theology. Don't fall for that. Don't fall for that. You should have someone when they're articulating against the other side, they're, they're telling you, read this book. Here's the book that presents the other side. Check it out. Read it. And then you, they take you, they take the claims of the other side and then really try to work through them in a fair and comprehensive way. For example, when you talk about Israel, uh, is it the nation or is it spiritual Israel? So what did we do in my church? Well, we spent six months looking up every single place in the Bible where the word Israel was used. Every single one. We went through every promise about land. These are things where we did a comprehensive, like, here's what they claim now let's go through this carefully. And then over and over and over, we would, were able to prove that some of the claims that were being made were not accurate. So it's just ridiculous. Literally, the land is identified in Ezekiel. It's not a spiritual land. It's not a, it's the land promised to their ancestors, which was physical land. Okay. That's what was promised to them. And they've never truly had it. Now, for someone to read Ezekiel and go, huh, I think 
somehow in the future, Israel's going to have to get the land that was promised to them. And then you start looking at the measurements of the land. Whoa. I mean, that, that covers a large amount of land and clearly they've never even had that. All right. And then you say, well, I don't know. I don't have to know how it's going to work. I just have to know that's, it's just a matter of, well, that's what the Bible seems to indicate. But I guess you can't do that because that makes you foolish or ignorant. I, the whole attitude of this thing that we've been reviewing is driving me crazy. But we're going to finish this up. We're going to finish this up. But I wanted to just get some of those, some of my initial frustration out. Because if I can just kind of vent a little bit, let get some of my frustration out of the way, then hopefully, as we review the rest of this, I can try to be fair. <laughs> and calm, and then maybe make it beneficial. But I think we've done a very good job of trying to explain it. So let me make it very clear. All these points that they have they have put forth to me is simply a smokescreen. The situation is very simple. You read your Old Testament. There are promises and prophecies to Israel. Many of those promises and prophecies to Israel have already been fulfilled historically. And when I look to the fulfillment of those promises and prophecies, I find that they were fulfilled literally. There's other promises and prophecies in the Old Testament about the destruction of nations or the destruction of cities like Tyre and Sidon. And then you find out it happened literally. There's promises and prophecies about the first coming of Christ. And we know that they were fulfilled literally. We feel that there's promises and our prophecies pointing to how Christ would suffer and die. We believe that was fulfilled literally. So over and over and over, we have kind of this literal idea appearing. And then we find these prophecies and promises about Israel that were like, huh, they've never been fulfilled. And immediately you're left with a choice. Do you believe these promises and prophecies that have not been fulfilled? Are they going to be fulfilled for the literal nation? Or are they going to be fulfilled basically in the church? Are they going to be fulfilled spiritually? Or are they going to be fulfilled literally? And if you come to the, con- and one of the, uh, an option, you have to at least say it's a hermeneutical option is to go, hmm, Based on all the other things, I'm going to go with literal Israel, literal fulfillment, and a literal future. And I don't think that makes you ignorant, the Antichrist, stupid, foolish, unable to read your Bible, or you haven't read the book of Hebrews. That's my position. Now, let's go back. And see what they're saying. I think they're still talking about land and how basically, you know, why would you be so worried about actual land? I mean, why would you? I don't know, because Ezekiel seems to make a promise about actual land. I don't know. Maybe that's why. I mean, the promise of land is throughout the entire Old Testament. That, that land, that land, that land, that land, that land. I mean, I don't know. It's talked about constantly, but I mean, who, who, what, what, what do I know? Let's just let, we're just going to jump in. Remember what, by the time we get to part three, there's never a smooth transition to get back into the review. There really isn't. So we're just going to hit play. And if you missed part one and part two, please go back and listen. And uh, well, now that my frustration I feel has been clearly expressed, now let's move on. And hopefully I can offer something of value and benefit. Here we go. But this stuff creeps in. It definitely creeps in. And we're not saying that um, God doesn't like 
creation or physical things. Mm. As a matter of fact, he does. He made it. Um, so when we're talking about heavenly, we're not talking about this ethereal, right. lacking substance. The Lord is going to, to there is going to be a great recreation mm. uh, with a new heaven and a new earth. Uh, but that's different than what Christian Zionism is talking about. Right. I wonder if that new heaven and new earth is going to be literal. Right? I mean, if land is not literal land and Israel is not literal Israel, then new heaven, new earth. Why is that literal? I wonder if Christ is even literal. I wonder if God is even literal. I wonder if anything's even literal. Okay, I, I digress. Yeah, see, I'm still a little frustrated. Well, let's move on to a sixth problem with Christian Zionism. And a sixth problem is that Zionism fails to see that the promises to Abraham are realized in Christ. Oh, I'm glad we're getting to this one because back to the land thing, oftentimes um, well-meaning people have been told again and again and again, or say again and again and again, that since Abraham, uh, the promise to Abraham includes land, uh, that there must be land fulfillment. Thus, we have Christian Zionism slash dispensationalism. And until we have a rebuilt temple and until we have priests and animal sacrifices in the Middle East... Um, we don't have fulfillment. God doesn't keep his promises and, uh, we have to be literal. So we have to have him fulfill his promises. And, and I, I want to say we do have to have him fulfill his promises. Absolutely. And we just looked at an example of that with land, uh, near and far fulfillment Mm -hmm. or ultimate fulfillment. But Galatians is, um, also helpful here, not just Hebrews, um, Galatians Remember, this is inspired interpretation uh, of the Old Testament. Mm. So Old Testament is inspired, so is new. But Paul, writing under the inspiration of the Spirit in Galatians 3, interprets the fulfillment of those promises for us perfectly. And he says this in Galatians 3.16. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. Mm. So there we have something quite amazing. And the amazing thing about that is it's made ultimately to Christ. And if it's made to Christ, then if we're united to Christ by faith, we, we're inheritors. This is realized in Christ. And what we want to do is trust in Christ. And so all of those blessings and benefits come to us. Mm. Let's connect dots, new Jerusalem from above better. It's all ours because it's all Christ. Mm. So, you know, here, here, what we end up having is the need to read the Bible. Like we've talked about before and interpret the Bible like Christians Um, And that means reading the whole because we believe in one ultimate divine author. And so we're going to read the new in light of the old, but also the old in light of the new. Uh, And by doing so, we, we, we won't be Zionists. Uh, We'll be Christians and read the Bible in a Christ centered way. We won't be Zionists. We'll be Christians. So are you saying Zionists aren't Christians? 
Are you saying that? Are, 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 is anyone denying that promises made to Abraham had promises that went far beyond just what was promised specifically to his offspring and to Israel? That there were promises that also pointed to a fulfillment in Christ? Is anyone denying that? And you still have yet to, and you want to say that somehow that fixes the land issue. The land issue is mentioned in Ezekiel. So the land issue is still being promised to Israel, even in language of the new covenant. But I know you would say the new covenant, even though it says the house of Israel and house of Judah, is not really the house of Israel and house of Judah. It's the church and that the land promise is fulfilled in the church and a spiritual land. I know everything just becomes whatever you want it to be whenever you want it to be that. So I don't know exactly what he's trying to say here. So uh, Galatians 3.13, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, where it is written, cursed is every man that hangeth on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Brethren, I speak after the manner of men. Um, okay, well, say this seems to be talking about how we're going to be saved uh, through, well, through Christ. And I don't know what what other scripture was he referencing. I don't know what whichever one he was referencing. He was in Galatians three. Uh, yeah, I mean, this is about justification. Even as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him to righteousness, know ye therefore that they which are of faith are the same or the children of Abraham. Okay, all right. I I don't know exactly which thing they're referring to here that supposedly this fixes all of the problems. And I, I don't know where like, if you'll just read this, if you'll just read the Bible the way we tell you to read the Bible, and, and if, if you'll read the Bible the way we tell you to read the Bible, you'll come to the same conclusion we do. Well, then someone could argue, well, if you would read the Bible the way we do, you would come to the same conclusion we do. <laughs> so yeah, if you tell me this is the way I'm supposed to read the Bible and this is the way I'm supposed to interpret it, it's amazing how I will end at your conclusion. But who says your way is the right way to read it? So I, I I don't really know exactly what they supposedly just proved there. I don't know. We can look at the Abrahamic covenant and we can go, here's the promises made in the Abrahamic covenant. There's a lot of different promises connected to the Abrahamic covenant. We've done this before. Go, I challenge all of you, go back to Genesis, look at every, every time the Abrahamic covenant is mentioned and all the aspects of it and write down every aspect of the Abrahamic, Abrahamic covenant. Look, I'm not afraid to do that. Just go look at every aspect of it and go, okay. What part was fulfilled? What part is fulfilled for us? What part is literal? Is there a spiritual aspect to it? And just and just work on it yourself. Now we, we may we I mean we've done it multiple times. If we need to, we can come back to it. I don't really know exactly what point they just made there. I mean, other than we fail to see that the promises of Abraham are fulfilled in Christ. In fact, let me look here. I'm just, I'm not quite, let's see here. I know, I know, I know, I know. Uh, I'm just, I'm going to look here. I'm going to look here for something. Give me one second. Because, you know, if you're going to go after dispensationalist, I'm, I'm going to just pull up here what, 
Okay, here I'm going to read from Schofield himself, right? Because, I mean, he's a dispensationalist. The Abrahamic covenant as formed... Uh, as formed Genesis 12, 1 through 4, and confirmed Genesis 13, 14 through 17, 15, 1 through 7, and 17, 1 through 8. So these are all the different parts of the Abrahamic covenant if you want to read all of them. Genesis 12, 1 through 4, Genesis 13, uh, 14 through 17, chapter 15, verses 1 through 7, and chapter 17, 1 through 8, is in seven distinct parts. Number one, I will make of thee a great nation. Fulfilled in a threefold way and a natural posterity as the dust of the earth, Genesis 13, uh, 16, John 8, 37. Uh, the, that's the Hebrew people. The spiritual posterity, look now towards heaven, so shall thy seed be. Um, John 8, Romans 4, uh, Galatians 3. All men of faith, whether Jew or Gentile. So when he says, I'm going to make thee a great nation, even Schofield acknowledges there's different aspects to it. See, they're not, they're not even trying to be fair to the dispensationalist here, right? Because even the dispensationalists say, okay, it's going to be fulfilled in a very, obviously a literal way, natural posterity. It's going to be fulfilled in a spiritual way. That's all, whether Jew or Gentile by faith. And it's going to be fulfilled also through Ishmael, Genesis chapter 17. So when it talks about, I'm going to make thee a great nation, it talks about all the different ways it's going to be fulfilled. Very, in a very literal way, the posterity of the Hebrew people, the Jews. There's going to be a spiritual way that all people by faith in Christ are a part of children of Abraham, which is articulated in the New Testament. And then through Ishmael, which will be another great nation that will arise from Abraham. So that's all of that part. Second, I will bless thee, fulfilled in two ways, temporally. Um, and then spiritually, there's a temporal and a spiritual as, uh, application. I will make thy name great. Abraham is one of the universal uh, names. And thou shalt be a blessing. Galatians 3, 13 through 14. I will bless them that, bl uh, uh, that bless thee. Uh, fulfillment closely related to the next clause. And I will curse him that curseth thee. Wonderfully fulfilled in the history of the dispersion. It is inevitably f uh, fair. Uh, so in other words, those who who uh, did horrible things to Israel, ended up being judged and cursed themselves. Um, in, in thee shall the families of the seed of the earth be blessed. This is a great evangelical promise fulfilled in Abraham's seed, Christ. See, even they point to Christ. So to just say that, that we don't see the promises of Abraham being fulfilled in Christ, it's just, it's a complete lie. I mean, right, right there, Schofield does that exact thing right here in the Schofield reference Bible. But see, what they want is to say, no, 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 no. When we say fulfilled in Christ, we say that if they're so fulfilled in Christ that there's no literal fulfillment for Israel in the future. See, we say fulfilled in Christ, the end done. Don't look for any literal fulfillment. But even Schofield realizes, well, wait a minute. Some of this seems to have very literal aspects and some of this could possibly have a spiritual implication because the New Testament would offer some of that spiritual implication. But that doesn't take away the literal aspect. So you can go read everything Schofield has to say. And, and, and look, if you're going to argue against quote-unquote dispensationalist, I think starting with Schofield is a good place to start, right? Because he's the one who took it and really, you know, placed it in a form that the average person could understand. All right, let's see what else they have to say about this. Not an Israel-centered way, yeah. uh, at least not ultimately, which does bring us 
to number seven. Yeah, and the seventh one is that Zionism refuses to read the Old Testament in light of the New. Which is pretty bizarre. I, every time we talk about this around uh, church, people think it sounds bizarre. Mm-hmm. But at least in the academy and in um, like in seminaries and colleges uh, that are Zionistic, um, this is actually a, a big thing. It's mm. a it's a huge no no uh, to read the old in light of the new, uh, when in fact it shouldn't be a huge no no. And historically, it wasn't a huge no no. Right. So. Um, Let's just be reasonable Christians and and read the whole Bible and think it's all God's word and it will culminate with Christ. And we have it on good inspired authority, the meaning of such things. So once again, he doesn't cite one source. He doesn't cite one source. I've been to plenty of dispensational schools and I was taught to read the old in light of the new. I was taught that countless times. I believe I've heard MacArthur teach that, who's dispensational. I I believe I would have to look, all right? I would have to look through my Schofield Bible, but I believe even he states something along that same line, all right? Uh, He says, okay, I'll just read a little bit here of what he has to say. This is so ridiculous how they, they, they are just not even trying to be remotely honest with some of these claims. Um, in other words, the Old Testament is the preparation for Christ and the gospels he has manifested to the world and acts he has preached and the gospel he's propagated uh, uh, in the world. In the epistles, the gospel is explained and the revelation, um, in, in the revelation, all the purposes of God, you see, uh, 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 in the epistles, his gospel is explained, and in the revelation, all the purposes of God in and through Christ are consummated. And these groups of books turn, uh, turn fall into groups. This is especially true of the Old Testament. And then he, he gives the outline of these books. But like everything is supposedly pointing to Christ. Um, you see here. I'm looking here, looking, because I'm almost positive he literally gives that very concept here. Uh, it's, it's just frustrating that they're not even attempting to try to be fair to the, here in any way, shape, or form. Um, well, the central theme of the Bible is Christ, all right? So in other words, whether you're reading Old Testament or New Testament, we should uh, look that everything is pointing ultimately to Christ. All right. Okay. And I'm looking here. We could probably look a little bit more. Um, Let's see here. There's probably... Yeah, I, I, I could, I could, I could do a, a lot more work here on trying to find. It. I could probably find it where, uh, in fact, hang on. Um, I'm gonna give me one second. I'm gonna look for something. Remember, when we do these reviews, these are all happening in real time. Just some of this is is bothering me. All right, just some of this. Give me one second. Give me one second. I'm looking this up. I could be wrong. All right. 
I was trying to find a quote from him and I don't have it. Uh, I don't have it uh, completely. Uh, I can't find the exact. I can't find the exact terminology. Uh, all right. Someone uh, to- told me it's Galatians 3.13. Okay, hang on. Hang on. I'm going to go back and look at, uh, I'm trying to do two things right here. I'm trying to do two things here. So let me go back to Galatians really quick. I was going to try to find a, a quote where I'm almost positive. It says very, very simple. All right. Gal- uh, it's Galatians 3.13 or 3.16. Oh, so 3.16. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not and to seed as of many, but as of one and to thy seed, which is Christ. Okay. Well, I got no problem that these promises point to Christ, fulfilled in Christ. I got no problem with that. I don't know. I I still don't know how that supposedly destroys anything that we have talked about or anything that has been said. I just don't. I'm not seeing what the issue is. All right. But if they're going to argue that dispensationalists don't read the Old Testament in light of the new. I just don't know. Look, give me a quote. Give me a source. Give me something where you're told, do not do that. Do not do that. Just don't do that. Um, I, I, I don't, I, I don't, hang on. Let me, I got a, I got a book over here. Let me see. Give me one second. Give me one second. Okay. This is a very, I'm almost positive. Hang on. Uh, Okay, yeah. Okay, here's the millennial kingdom. Okay, so this is dispensational. This is very dispensational. All right, so let me me do something here, okay? Uh, Let me see here. Okay, so this is... I've got, I've got here uh, the basic theology by Charles C. Ryrie, clearly dispensational. He talks about the tribulation, the millennial kingdom. All right. So, all right, here we go. Um, here are some of his principles of hermeneutics. Okay. So here's some of his principles of hermeneutics. All right. So I'm looking here. Um, he says, recognize the progressiveness of revelation. All right. So right here. They teach progressive revelation, which they've already claimed that supposedly dispensationalist doesn't. Then it says, goes on to say, um, okay, the most, it says, the most frequent objection by evangelicals to normal interpretation points that since the New Testament uses the Old Testament in a non-literal sense, we also may interpret Old Testament prophecies about the millennium, for example, in a non-literal sense. Or to put it more simply, since the New Testament spiritualizes the Old Testament, so can we. This might seem at first glance to be a strong objection to the consistent use of a normal hermeneutic. However, we must remember that most often New Testament uses Old Testament prophecies literally and does not spiritualize them. And instances cited where the New Testament uses a non-literal hermeneutic in relation to Old Testament prophecies uh, number only seven at most. Other uses of the Old Testament include using it illustratively, uh, analogically, uh, applicationally, or rhetorically, uh, or u- uh, usually as a fulfilled directly eschatologically or typically. Hardly ever do New Testament writers not use the Old Testament in a historical grammatical sense. All right. So it goes on right there. Um, 
Okay, and maybe maybe I could find it in here. I think he probably has a part about reading the old in light of the new. But so a lot of the things that they are claiming are just not being lay, laid out in the way that they're that they are they are speaking, and it's just it's just not an accurate, fair attack. And that's all. I, that's and again, that's just I just looked over and saw. Oh wait, there's a systematic theology that's clearly dispensational, and clearly the things they're claiming it's not even it's just not accurate. All they need to do is just say in this book, in this book, in this book, and then I could go look and go, oh wow, okay, they said that. Now here's the thing: I know this is going to come as a shock. Here's here's the thing: even if you find a hundred dispensationalists who say something, that fine. Let's let's say they're wrong. Any dispensationalist who denies progressive revelation, any any dispensationalist are supposedly doing the things that they're claiming. Let's say they're wrong. That still does not negate the fact that God made promises to Israel in the Old Testament that have never been fulfilled. And I'm left with two hermeneutical choices, a literal fulfillment in the future or a non-literal fulfillment to a non-nation to to the church in a non-literal way. Those, those are my choices. It doesn't mean like, oh, you, you're now guilty of all of these things. You may find some people have been guilty of these things. Fine. Accuse them. Go after them. Name them. Destroy their books, their sermons. But don't tell me that I'm somehow guilty of what they're supposedly guilty of, even though you haven't named any names or cited a source, simply because I read my Bible going, hmm, I think God, whenever he makes these promises, they seem to be fulfilled literally. He's made promises to Israel. They haven't been fulfilled literally. So I'm going to look for a literal fulfillment. That doesn't mean I'm guilty of all the things you're accusing me of. That's not even an, not even an accurate way to approach it. The issue is two hermeneutical options when it comes to promises to Israel in the Old Testament. Literal or non-literal. And you want to go with the non-literal. Okay, make your argument for the non-literal make your arguments against the literal in the end you don't have to say almost imply that they're not christians that they're antichrist that they deny all of these things which i've clearly demonstrated they don't deny the things you're claiming they deny they just don't they just don't give me i'm, I'm going to look up something else Oh, this is so irritating. It's so just not. I'm going to look here. Uh, I bet you I could find, I bet you I can find so many dispensationalists who, who believe that, that very kind of thing. Um, Oh, here's from Master Seminary, okay? Um, yeah, they, they, I'm not, I, I can, um, you can't rightly understand the New Testament without the Old, all right? Pro, uh, pro, progress in divine revelation, there's progressive revelation, again, from Master Seminary. Uh, 
Okay. And I'd have to go through this entire article. But again, once again, it's just, it's just, I'm just doing a, just, a, just on the spot searching for things that are related to that world that they're condemning. And it literally some of that, that was like, you're not fairly, re- just fairly represent. In fact, it would be better instead of attacking people, just deal with the fundamental hermeneutical issue. The Bible has promises to Israel. Some of those promises have been fulfilled. Now, how were they fulfilled? Literally or spiritually? Secondly, there's promises to Israel that doesn't seem to ever have been fulfilled. What do we do with that? Do we remove them from Israel and give them to the church? Or do we say they were never given to the nation? They were always given to a spiritual Israel, right? Or do we say, well, they're going to be fulfilled in the future, but they're not going to be fulfilled in a literal way. They're going to be fulfilled in a spiritual way. That's really the issue. All these other things are just unnecessary, and they're only getting away from the issue. And, and to the person who posted uh, the, the correct verse in Galatians, thank you. It's Galatians 3.16, not Galatians 3.13. I appreciate that. I, I, I don't really have an answer for what they're trying to say there other than... I, 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 I don't, I, I see it's so weird to me how that it's like, oh, we've got a, we've got a verse here and it seems to imply, well, you can say it implies fulfillment in Christ. You can say it, it, it fulfills it, whether Jew or Gentile, all of those things can be true. It does not negate at the same time promises made to a nation that have never been fulfilled. So, all right, we'll, 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 we'll carry on. I apologize for that lengthy looking around at everything, but it's just so many of these claims that they're making are just, I, I'm just sitting there going, oh, man, I've, I've heard these things a million times in dispensational churches. I've heard these things in disp- dis- dispensational seminaries, Bible colleges, Bible institutes that I've attended and graduated from. I'm like, this is just a, not an accurate representation at all. It's not an accurate representation. Now, there may be some somewhere but some somewhere does not represent an entirety of a group. Just think, even within dispensationalism, not everyone, there's different kinds of dispensationalism. So you, you got to, I mean, come on, like be somewhat fair with the subject. Yeah. yeah. So important to make sure we understand Scripture as a whole, not as two separate pieces uh, that should not interact whatsoever. Yes, but I, but I would want to say that if I if my ultimate agenda is to have a future for national, and I keep saying it this way, national Israel, geopolitical, religious, mm-hmm. if that is my ultimate goal, then I am for sure going to tell people to not read the old in light of the new because it's a deal breaker. Right. It It will... It will undermine Christian Zionism, yeah. um, and so. But wh- why? Why wouldn't we want to be uh, honoring to Christ, who is the the sum and substance, right. uh, the heir of all things? It just baffles the mind to do otherwise. Yeah, it really does. Let's look at a final eighth problem of Christian Zionism. Uh, it is, and it's like it undermines Zionism. Like, 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 hey. If, if anyone will, will read the old and light of the new, Christian Zionism falls apart. Dispensationalism falls apart. And that is just crazy to me. All right. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to look at something here. Okay. Um, okay. I was going to uh, 
thought I had another article here. Yeah, I thought I had another article here where that exact uh, quote here was used. Okay, hang on. Okay, I was, all right, hang on, hang on. All right, well, thought that was the exact quote. Okay, give me one second. Hang on, hang on, hang on. I think I'm getting close to a quote here. Okay, it's a, it's a long, I'm looking at this long article here. I'm almost positive the quote shows up here. All right, I may not be able to find, I'm, I'm trying to I'm trying to actually look at sources, un, unlike what they were trying to do. Um, but yeah, this is a, this is an entire message. By, and I'm just going with MacArthur. Um, oh, oh, okay. Right. I mean, right here, he's in this entire sermon, he's talking about how when you read the Old Testament, we see Christ, right? Um, so we understand. Says, but there are four perspectives that you need to have as you look from the perspective of the New Testament. Here, uh, here we are looking from the perspective of the New Testament back to the Old Testament. Number, and so then they they offer some uh, some other concepts here. Basically, how we need to uh, understand. I think ultimately this is a roundabout way saying you need to understand the old and light of the new. So I. I, look, when they make these claims, I'm just, I, the reason I'm so frustrated and the reason I'm spending so much time trying to look at these things that I have around me is because it just makes no sense the way this is being approached. It's just, it makes no sense. Um, and, and I think Chuck Swindoll and his famous work, The Masterworks, where he goes through all the books of the Bible, I think in his introductory volume, and I thought I had it here in the studio, and clearly he would hold to a more dispensational view. I, I guarantee you at the beginning of Masterworks, he says, read the old and light of the new and goes through that entire. I mean, I've heard that preached so many times in my life. So I, it's, it's like, hey, you know, you, if, if, you know if, if, if they would do this, it would destroy Christian Zionism. I don't, where are you getting that? Where are you getting that those who hold to a dispensational view say they, they argue not to do that? In fact, I'm going, I'm going to uh, work on trying to find a number of, of sources and quotes that really basically give that exact statement. And when I do, then I'm, maybe we'll come back to this. But let's finish this up. That's so frustrating. So frustrating. Let's see if we can finish this up. That uh, Christian Zionism is a failure to see the ascension of Jesus as more than just going from earth to heaven. When you think of the ascension, hopefully you do think of Jesus going from earth to heaven. Right. He's ascending. So how is that a bad thing? It's not a bad thing, <laughs> but it's, there's, there's more to it than that because uh, 
classically, the doctrine of the ascension of Jesus, and not just classically, biblically, is not just a, a, a transferring from one place to another. Mm. It's it's him going to the throne. He's mm. ascending the throne. It's a, it's a royalty kind of mm. thing. And when you go and you go to a throne, you ascend uh, as the king, you rule and you reign. Wait a minute. So you're saying that Jesus is ascended to the throne where he's ruling and reigning. At the right hand of the Father. That is indeed what I'm saying. Okay. So what about he's supposed to be ruling and reigning coming up some day in the future? I think he will be ruling and reigning someday coming up in the future, but he's ruling and reigning now, and he will return and continue to rule and reign. Uh, but I, I, for the longest time, thought ascension is just one place to another. Yeah. I would have affirmed seated at the right hand of the Father, but I, I didn't really think about it, and I'll claim uh, responsibility for my own ignorance. But when you read, for example, Acts chapter 2, it says in verse 33, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. So this great thing on the day of Pentecost, but it, he, Peter's talking about ascension, right hand of God. And then in verse 34, it says, for David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. This is enthronement. Mm. This is installation. This is ruling and reigning kind of talk. Uh, and, and we've got to have that in our minds that he's gone to the throne. He is seated. He is installed. And we have to know that he's made both Lord and Christ, as Peter says in verse 36, this Jesus whom you crucified. Mm. And that messes with Zionism because Zionism says... We, we have to have him ruling and reigning someday in the future. Right. How does that mess with Zionism? He ascended to the right hand of the Father and he is ruling and reigning. No question about it. But we also know that he's going to come, according to Revelation 19, with a sword, destroy his enemies. And then in Revelation 20, seems to be setting up thrones. Oh, wait, and seems to rule for a thousand years. Oh, I'm sorry. None of that's real. None of that's literal. It's all fulfilled because Christ ascended to the, to the So, so we don't even need revelation. I don't even know why we have revelation because it's all just figurative and, and it's, it's all fulfilled in the ascension. Why would we just have the ascension and just cut off the rest? And wait a minute. Some of the things spoken of in the Old Testament, are you saying that's fulfilled in the ascension? And why didn't Jesus say, if I go back to, if you want to go to the book of Acts, okay, um, why when the disciples saw Jesus and they said, we, we, uh, when, when they therefore, this is Acts 1.6, when they therefore came together, they asked of him saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, it is not, not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. Why didn't he say, well, guys, it's getting ready to happen. It's getting ready to happen. I'm getting ready to go back to the Father and it's over. He doesn't say that. And then the very next verse, uh, but you shall receive power, tells them to be witnesses. And then listen, they, he ascends to the father. And then they say, ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus, which is taken uh, up from you into heaven shall come in like 
manner. He's going to come. Now, Jesus did not say, oh, hey, there is no kingdom for Israel. He didn't say, I'm not going to restore the kingdom of Israel. He says, it's not for you. Don't worry about that right now. Then they're told he's going to come back, seemingly to imply that when he comes back, then the kingdom would be set up. But I guess if he ascended, then the kingdom is already there. See, this is just an issue of, they just keep acting like if you would just read that, you would know. It's so arrogant and condescending. No, smart people read it. The difference is two different hermeneutical approaches. That's all it is. That's all it is. You're saying, they just missed this and they deny that. It's not missing. Or some of the things you've said, like deny progressive revelation. That's a complete lie. Deny the sufficiency of Christ. That is a complete lie. Demand the undoing of the work of Christ. That is a complete lie. Deny the typological nature of the old covenant. That's a complete lie. Uh, fails to see land promise fulfilled. I, I'm not going to say that's a complete lie, but it's a strong misrepresentation because even as many dispensationalists, we will look at Joshua and go, huh, I think it could possibly be fulfilled. And so then we're like, well, maybe there isn't another land promise. And then when we continue reading, we're like, wait a minute, land promises are associated with the new covenant. Wait, why would God be making new land promises if it's already been fulfilled? Hmm. And then he literally says, I'm going to give you the land that was promised to your ancestors. That's the physical land. All right. So that's not even an accurate uh, representation. We fail to see the promises to Abraham are fulfilled in Christ. I mean, there are all kinds of promises to Abraham. So which, are you saying every single promise is fulfilled in Christ? That God did not make a literal nation from, uh, from Abraham? He did not make an, an actual nation from Ishmael? Are you saying that that wasn't literal? So you can't say all now we got to identify which ones are you referring to? And then refuse to read the Old Testament in light of the New. Again, I cannot find the exact quotes that I'm looking for, but I guarantee you there's plenty of dispensationalists who say those very words. You have to read the Old in light of the New. I hear that all the time. And then number eight, failure to see the ascension as more than Jesus going from earth to heaven. Who, which dispensationalist saying, hey guys, it's we're going to study the ascension today. It's no big deal. It's just Jesus going from one location to another. That's it. That's it. Nothing more to see here. Sermon over. I've never heard a dispensationalist preach the ascension as it's just, he just moved from one location to another. There's nothing else there. There's no other significance about it. I've been taught all the different things that it means and all the different things it represents. When in fact he is ruling and reigning now and that can have effects on your view of what must be done in the future. Right. Must, yeah. must, so. so we're saying that the king has been installed. The king is on his throne. It, it, indeed, we are saying that. Contrary to what one Christian Zionist uh, I read yesterday said, uh, he, was asked, he posed the question, is the Messiah on his throne? And he responded and said, no. Mm. Wow. Could you give me the book? Could you give me the page number? Could you give me the sermon? What was he referencing? Could you give me anything? Give me something. Because I'll go look it up. What was he referencing? Was he referencing the literal throne in Jerusalem? Well, then, yeah, he's going to say no. Is he saying that Jesus is not ruling and reigning in heaven? Is he saying he's not in the throne in heaven? 
Is that what he was saying? Yeah, you, I, oh, I'm just supposed to take your word for it. I don't have anything to go by. Not a thing to go by. Nothing. Well, guess what? Even if you say that dispensationalist said it, I would like to know who the dispensationalist was. Does that mean every dispensationalist does? Is that a common teaching? You you try, you try to be, you try to be, uh, you you try to be patient here. You try to be patient here. And I'm sitting here trying to look at all the notes and like say Schofield and I'm looking and, you know, and, and I, I like it. I could start looking things up and I bet you I could probably find things that absolutely contradict that claim within about five point. Well, maybe not five point two seconds live on the air, but maybe once I'm not on on the air, I could probably look these things up and just go. Uh, it's just oh. I can make a claim. Hey, yesterday I was listening to someone who believes in covenant theology. You know what they said? They said you have to kill a baby at midnight in order to be saved. Can you believe that? I mean, you can just make a claim about anybody saying anything. And even if I found someone who holds the covenant theology who said something like that, that doesn't mean covenant theology teaches it. It doesn't mean that that's the norm, norm, normative way of that theological system to state that. That means there's one individual who put forth one idea, whether it's even accepted by the, I mean, come on. You, we are talking about the Protestant world. Everyone has their own little twist and, and their own little take on everything. That's why there's no agreement on anything. Oh, okay. Which I, I can't believe people are willing, again, to to do such destruction to their Christology yeah. in the name of trying to carry the party line uh, to promote Christian Zionism. What Christian, I, it just blew my it, mind. That doesn't make sense. What Christian would say the Messiah is not on his throne in light of Acts chapter 2? Yeah. And so in Acts, Acts chapter 2 is connecting the dots from Psalm 110. So I think if we did a better job, and I'm going to try to do this myself even, a better job at teaching the significance and the meaning of the ascension uh, of Christ, uh, we would we would help people greatly mm-hmm. at, at avoiding this bad hermeneutical practice that we're calling Israel-centric reading, even of the New Testament, uh, instead of a Christ-centered reading, uh, ascension is critical. And this this is why I think thoughtful Christians, when they talk about the work of Christ, they talk about his life, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension, because it's fulfilling the fact that he's the Messiah. He's yeah. the ruling and reigning, delivering king, um, not someday but he actually accomplished his work and it's shown in his ascension. And we know as uh, they're told in the book of Acts that he would return in the same way that he came. And we long for that day uh, when he comes back and rules and reigns. So you're, you're looking for the day when he's going to come back and rule and reign. Wait, wait, you're, you're waiting. So Christ is reigning now, but you're looking for him to return to rule and reign. Wait, wait. I thought you said, I thought he's reigning now, right? Because so, so we don't look for a future reigning. Oh, you're, but he's reigning, but he's going to come and reign. So what's the problem? He's ruling and reigning now from heaven, 
but he will come to rule and reign on the earth to fulfill the promises he made to Israel. Why is this so complicated? You literally just said he's reigning now, so there's no future. You're acting like there's no way we should be looking for some future reigning. And that dispensationalists don't believe he's reigning now. And then you just literally said that in Acts, he says he's going to return. And we're looking forward to him coming back to rule and reign. He's going to come back and rule and reign on earth? Is, is, that, is that a horrible thing to believe that the ruling king will come back and to rule and reign on this earth? Is, is, that, is, that, is that a horrible thing to believe? Because it just made it sound like you kind of believe the same thing or maybe you don't. I don't know. But I guess I could probably just make a podcast and just say, I heard these covenant people, uh, covenant theology people, and they were just saying that Christ is going to come back and rule and reign. Well, so they agree with us. I mean, I mean, I could just take your words out of context. I mean, you don't provide context for the other person you quoted. At least here, everyone's got to hear everything you've had to say. One more uh, final thing that our listeners may be thinking about. You know, we've talked a lot about Israel and the nation of Israel and the Jews and talking about not reading our Bible with them as the focus and the substance. Um you know, what about Romans 9 through 11 and the promise that we read there in Romans of a future for the Jews? Well, I think you said it the way I'd want to say it, that a future for the Jews, hmm. um, the, the people of Israel, but that doesn't necessarily mean there is a promise that God has made for national Israel, as I keep stressing, uh, in the Middle East, geopolitical, religious, all of those things that they were. Uh, I don't think that's what the Apostle Paul has in mind there. Uh, I think he has uh, in mind, and this is somewhat controversial even in Reformed kind of circles, uh, but uh, I think what he has in mind is there is a future for Jewish people uh, where, according to God's sovereign purposes, there's going to be a great ingathering of Jewish people uh, and they will be converted. And they will be converted uh, not to be isolated from mm, the church, yeah. but they'll become part of the body of Messiah. They would be part of that one new man in part Christ. Part of the one new man, yes. Yeah. So future for the, for the Jews, yes, I, I would say future for the Jews in the church, in Christ, right. uh, the, the one who's the heir of all things. So that, that's a different reading of things. So sometimes uh, dispensationalists suggest that uh, people don't, it, that's all uh, spiritualized, allegorized, and it's not referring to actual Jews. Uh, when in fact, commentators, whether it be John Murray and his classic Romans commentary, I believe would say future for Jewish people. Hmm. Uh, and he would not be a dispensationalist or Zionist. I believe that's probably Michael Horton's view as well. So future for the Jews, amen. Future for uh, this Political organization, no, uh, or I shouldn't say organization, you know what I mean. So what are some resources we could recommend to our listeners? Uh, who? So there's a literal future for literal Jews. Well, they'll be literally gathered in and saved. Okay, now that's good. Okay, we're, we're getting somewhere. There's agreement. I do believe there's a literal future for the literal Jews where they'll be literal gathered in and literally saved. So far, so good. But is there a literal fulfillment to the literal promises made to those Jews in the new covenant?
who are interested in maybe learning a little bit more about this? Well, I'm not trying to be cute, but once again, when you read Matthew's gospel account, mm. it's amazing the connections that are made by Jesus and also pointed out by the inspired uh, recorder, Matthew, of the connections, uh, the fulfillment that's found in Christ. So a classic one would be in chapter two, where Jesus is um, delivered out of Egypt, uh, called out of Egypt. Uh, he's the son, and that's quoting Hosea 11.1. 1. I know we talk about this a lot, but for good reason. Uh, in Hosea 11.1, 1, Israel is the son, mm. and now Jesus is the son. And so there, right in the text itself, is an example of, of that we move from shadow to substance. Right. One is looking forward to the other. So read, if you read your Bible and, and, and you look for this, yeah. uh, you see it all over it's the everywhere. place. Yeah. So not just in Matthew's gospel account, but that's a good example. I also, uh, kind of an obscure place to look, but I have a book here in my hand called Understanding the Land of the Bible, a Biblical Theological Guide. And it is by O. Palmer Robertson. And I'm not even promoting the whole book, even though I think it's a good book. It's a fine book. But whenever we go to Israel uh, and I lead a group uh, going to Israel, I always have them read chapter 10, which is called Five Perspectives on the Land. And it's fascinating because in, a re in real short order, he talks about the different perspectives on the land, uh, Zionism, millennialism, as it would relate to Zionism and so on, the Holy Land perspective. Uh, he does a really good job of, of sorting through this in, you know, 10 pages or so. Hmm. And then a final uh, resource I would recommend that is a little challenging uh, when it comes to reading, in my opinion, for folks, for, so I've been told, is Meredith Klein's work, his classic work called Kingdom Prologue. And Kingdom Prologue is quite helpful in thinking through the types and shadows, substance belonging to Christ. He interacts and engages and critiques dispensationalism. And uh, it, it really is a, a helpful book. Uh, I think every, pa every pastor at least should read it. Uh, any kind of Bible teacher should read it to try to think through at least that perspective of things uh, that would not be, that would be Christ-centered in a good and thoughtful, legitimate sense. I think we're out of time and we need to say goodbye to our listeners and go say hello to our families. Thanks for listening and thanks for being a part. There you have it. By all means, get all of those resources. By all means, read them. I would never in any way discourage that. Read everything they have to say. Look it all up. But I can tell you this. A lot of what they claimed was a complete, I, I would go so far as fabrication and misrepresentation of anything that I've ever heard in all the years of being in and around and graduating from schools because I went to schools that were all millennial. I went to schools that were dispensational. I got both. I got, I got, I've got from ask from, from learning eschatology. I've learned it from a dispensational perspective, from an amillennial perspective, learn it from a Catholic perspective and, a, and attending a Catholic university, working on a degree in Catholic theology. So I was a Lutheran. I learned it from their perspective. I've heard, I've heard it all. And, and it's just like, come on, be even remotely fair with this. At the end of the day, if you want to do something, take your Bible. It, this will require a lot of work, but if you really want to do this on your own, right, you don't have to listen to everyone else and get all confused. Just read, take your Bible and just start making, a, you can just work on this. It may take you six months. Just start. And every promise that seems to be directed towards Israel, just write down the promise. 
Write down the promise, the, the passage and the promise. And then ask yourself, was this fulfilled? If you can find the fulfillment of it, write down maybe the, the other passage that speaks of the fulfillment. Write down the date if you can have it. And then ask yourself, was that literally fulfilled or spiritually fulfilled? If it was literal, 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 then when you start finding promises and you're like, wait a minute, I don't have a fulfillment for these promises. Then ask yourself, well, then do I look for a literal fulfillment in the future or do I look for a spiritual fulfillment, not for the nation, but for, well, the church. Now, according to him, Romans 9 does have a literal (laughs) promise to literal Jews that will be literally fulfilled. So then now we're back to a very literal. Hey, when Paul says the Jews are going to be saved or all Israel is going to be saved, he's talking about Jews. He's not talking about the nation. So literal Jews will be literally saved. Okay, so now we're back to a literal. That's good. That gets it. At least we're getting somewhere. Now, okay, are there any other literal promises? When Jesus, when they asked, hey, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Why didn't Jesus say, hey, guys, that's over. It's going to be, it's going to be restored to you spiritually in just about five seconds when I ascend back to the Father. No, he doesn't say that. He doesn't say that in any way, shape, or form. And then he says, hey, for, for now, that's not for you to know. Here's what you're going to do. And then they're told, hey, he's going to come back, which would seem to imply, now, hey, that kingdom part you asked about, it's going to happen later. And why, why would the Jews keep looking for a king and a kingdom? Maybe because the Old Testament kept promising it. Is Jesus ruling and reigning now? Absolutely. Is that the right hand of the Father? Absolutely. Ruling and reigning, a spiritual kingdom. He's clearly not ruling and reigning literally on earth. Now, is that supposed to happen? I got no problem having a struggle and disagreement with that. But then you're going to have to establish a hermeneutic that explains why we don't take those passages that seem to indicate that as being literal. And that's where the the issue is. All right, there you have it. That was a lot of work. The only problem with trying to do some of those in... See, it's it's very difficult. See, it's very difficult when you're trying to review in, in real time. And they're just making accusations. And they're not giving you any... They're not, look, they're not giving you any source, not giving you anything. Because you can't go look it up, right? I can immediately stop and go, okay, we're going to look that up. Here, I'm just trying to grab resources around me to go, well, wait a minute. I don't know if that's accurate. So I apologize. I know that was not the best for broadcasting, but I was literally just like, I, I, look, I, I did find right here in a systematic theology that's dispensational progressive revelation clearly mentioned. Clearly, I, I have them saying that, you know, I, I found from MacArthur, basically, you can't understand the old without the new. So I'm, I'm not wasn't able to prove every single point, but I was able to start calling into question some of their claims. But I had to just start randomly looking for things. If they would have said, according to this source, then I could have just see, I could immediately look to see if I could get access to that source live on the air and then immediately read the context and go, this is... But like some supposedly he listened to someone who said Christ is not reigning now. I don't know what to do with that because I don't know who, what, where, when, how, or even the context. But I'm supposed to go, ooh, can you believe those horrible Zionists, those Zionism and those evil dispensationalists? Can you believe what this unknown person supposedly said without any context? Bad people. And then even he then said Christ is going to come back. And rule and reign. Well, he's coming back to rule and reign where? A literal 
literal earth now or a literal new heavens and a new earth? Is that a literal rain or is it spiritual rain? Like, it's just, they can go, it's so amazing. They can go into a literal, back to a non-literal, just without any hesitation. It's whatever fits their system. So there you go. All right. You can email me your thoughts on part three, newsif at yahoo.com. That's very frustrating. Newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. Remember all three plus hours we just did. We did that because someone emailed me and asked me to. Now, I'm going to be sending them a bill for the counseling that I'm going to require to to uh, be better after I've now experienced trauma. I'm going to have post-traumatic stress disorder because of that review. I'm joking. I'm joking. I will not be sending you the bill, but I will be seeking counseling. Okay. All right. I'm joking. All right. Thank you. Everyone have a great day. Email me. Newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. Thanks, everyone. Have a great day. God bless.